Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. So awesome. How are we doing this morning, church? Man, it is so good to be back. Um, man, just so grateful for a few weeks away with the family to just hit the reset button, to recalibrate, um, and just to come back uh, full of gratitude for what God has done this summer, what he's continuing to do, what he's going to keep doing in and through this church. And man, I, I'm really grateful for, Lindsay and I both are very grateful for some of our pastoral friends who came through over the last several weeks and preached their hearts out. I hope it was a blessing to you. Heard from so many of them that it was a blessing for them to be here. I'm grateful for our amazing team here at Hills Church who not only has pulled off Camp X and youth camps and all sorts of things, but now we're diving into our backpack drive for the summer, which is an awesome way. That's, that's under the banner of For the 50 for our church. And if you're new to Hills Church, one of the phrases you're going to hear a lot is, we are for the 50. We believe God has strategically put us on the Highway 50 corridor to be a blessing to our neighbors, to be a generous church to um, all those who are in need. And so one of the ways that we do that almost every year is through our backpack drive. So I want to encourage you, we're shooting for 200 backpacks. I believe we can just knock that out of the park and be such an awesome way to show these kids and families and students that we are for them and that Jesus loves them. Amen? Awesome. So one other thing, well, actually two other things to get ready for. I know we got a lot that we're hitting on, but man, I have, I have just loved this reality and heard so many amazing things about summer together, gathering as one church family for one service. And so we're going to continue this on into the month of August and heading towards Lake Day baptism. So 10.30 a.m., one service, summer together. We're going to keep rolling with this into August. And I want to encourage you. If you have not yet been baptized, if you've not taken the step of faith that is baptism, which is declaring your faith, going public with your faith in Jesus Christ, Lake Day baptisms is one of the coolest things we do as a church. And so this would be an amazing opportunity for you, your family, your friends to celebrate your step of faith in Jesus Christ. It's down at uh, the Sacramento State Aquatic Center we did it last year, it was amazing, and we'd love for you to be a part of that with us this year. Okay, all that being said, we are diving into God's word today, and you know, sometimes when you, when you step away from things for a minute, sometimes you get a clearer vision, a clearer picture of what you're doing and what you're called to do when you step back from things, and part of my reason for taking some time off this summer was just to pray, was to seek God, and just to get fresh perspective on, man, what is the church? What are we doing when we gather? What's the impact and the importance of what we do here every week? And as I stepped away during my time, I was just reminded and I believe my, my calling, it just be, became so clear as a pastor of this church. And, you know, one of the primary things I believe God has called me to do here is to convert all of you to become Georgia Bulldog fans. 
I was just reminded of that in my time away. So if you're new to this church, you have no idea what I'm talking about. God bless you. I'm just joking. That's not my primary calling. It's just something that I love to do. So uh, if you're not, you know, into college football, this church is just not for you. I'm just going to go ahead and put that out there. (laughs) Only kidding. But honestly, all joking aside, as I was away and praying and just trying to get the Lord's heart for our church um, and what we're doing, where we're headed, what what he's called us to be as a community of believers on the 50 corridor, I was drawn to this passage in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. And if you have a Bible or a phone, you can, you can open it. You can read this with me. I'm just going to read this and want you to listen to these words because this is probably, in the New Testament, one of the most powerful and just packed descriptions of Jesus Christ. And here's what Paul writes about Jesus. He says this, starting in verse 15. He says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. You want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. You want to know who God is? Look at Jesus. He's the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Paul is writing this about Jesus, about a man who was fully God and fully man. Can you imagine what he's saying here? To believe that this man who walked the earth was fully God and that everything in creation was created through him and for him. That's a stunning sentence. It goes on in verse 17. It says, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Everything is held together by Jesus. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. It goes on, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All of God, the fullness of God was in Christ was in Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, God reconciled to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, God reconciled all of us. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, I'm sorry, I missed verse 21, says this to all of us, and you, that's you and me, who once were alienated, that means separated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he's now reconciled us through his death on the cross. Friends, one of the things that we say here at Hills Church is this, Jesus is our lead story. If you want to know what kind of church we are, what we're about as a church, well, it's really simple. We're about Jesus. Because 
The Apostle Paul was about Jesus because the entire Bible, including the Old Testament, is about Jesus because your only hope is Jesus Christ. The only way back to the Father, back to life, is is through Jesus Christ. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. He is the rock bottom of our reality on this earth. So friends, he's our lead story. If you want to know what we're about as a church, we are constantly and always going to point you back to true north, back to Jesus Christ, back to the foundation of everything that we know to be true in this world, Jesus. As I had some time to reflect and think about church, to think about why we exist and what we're here for, and to think about even my role within the church, you know, I... I was reading through Romans 12 and Ephesians 4. And Paul talks about the different gifts that God gave to each of us. Every single one of you is uniquely made in the image of God with specific gifts. He says some of you have gifts of mercy. Some of you have gifts of leadership. Some of you have gifts of service. He says some of you have... He lists many, many gifts throughout the New Testament. He goes, all of these gifts that God has given you are meant to be used to build up the church, to build up the body of Christ, to reach your neighbors. It's the way we use the gifts that God has given us to serve, not just the church, to serve others and to bring glory to God. And I thought about my role, my calling in the church And the thing that just struck me so clearly is is this. As a pastor, you're just a lead follower. You're just a lead follower. You keep your eyes on Jesus. And as a teacher, as a preacher of God's word, my main calling is to spend my weeks and my days pouring my heart and soul into understanding God's word so that I can stand up here after doing my very best to to understand what God is saying to us in his scripture, and I can share that with you so that you can be built up in your faith, so that you can be strengthened in your faith, so that you can better understand who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. And the reason that what we do is so vital and so important, and friends, the church has been around for 2,000 years, over 2,000 years. And over those 2,000 years, the expression of Christianity has, has changed a lot. It started in Jewish synagogues. It started in homes. They, the first Christians were all Jewish, and then the Gentiles began to come to faith through Jesus Christ, and they began to get saved, and now the church was this beautiful mixture of, of men and women and Jews and Gentiles, and it began to spread like wildfire to the ends of the earth, and The amazing thing about Christianity is it crossed every cultural barrier. It crossed every language barrier. It eventually swept through the Roman Empire and is now the largest religion on the planet today because it speaks to the deepest need and longing of every human heart. Christianity has looked different over the generations in terms of how it's expressed and practiced 
It looks different in rural Mississippi than it does in, you know, downtown New York. It looks different in China than it does in Africa. But the core central truths of what we believe as Christians have not changed in 2,000 years. The expression may look different, and God intended that. Because it's intended to reach every person in every culture. So Christianity has to become relevant to every person in every culture. But the truth is not compromised. The truth is never compromised. And the reason that church is so vital. For 2,000 years, Christians have gathered. Think about that. And gatherings large and small. Christians have gathered literally by the millions, and they've gathered in small groups and homes for 2,000 years. And every time we gather as the church, there are certain things that happen, and there are certain reasons why we do this. When we gather, we sing. We sing songs of worship to God. This is a house of worship. Hills Church is a place of worship. When you showed up this morning, when you show up on Sunday mornings, you are gathering to worship Jesus. I mean, that should be self-explanatory, but sometimes it's good to like remind ourselves of that, right? Oh yeah, I'm here to worship Jesus. And Christians have sung songs, they have written songs about Jesus and about God for 2,000 years. It just spontaneously happened. They wanted to sing to him. They wanted to praise him with worship. For 2,000 years, when Christians have gathered, they have opened God's word. The first Christians, all they had was the Old Testament but they had the reality and the stories of who Jesus was and you know what this meant for the world and for reality and so they wrote the new testament but they've opened God's word and um, a preacher or a teacher has taught God's word so that the people of God can learn what it means to know God and to follow him for 2000 years we have sung and worshiped God together. We have opened God's word together. At the end of our service today, we're going to remember the death of Jesus on the cross by taking communion together. For 2000 years, Christians have gathered together and celebrated our faith through baptism as a symbol that Christ conquered death and we are raised to new life with him. For 2,000 years, Christians have gathered together to remind one another of what is true about life. Because I want to share this with you. The reason church is so vital, as I was reflecting, the reason what we do here at Hills Church, this moment, cannot just be some secondary sideshow in your life is because this is one of the few places, one of the few moments in your life where you're gonna gather with hundreds of other men and women who are lifting up the deepest and the most core and the most essential truths of life and reality. And together we are all reorienting ourselves to God. And every day you wake up, you step out into a world a postmodern world that says there is no objective truth, 
There is no ultimate reality. Your truth is yours, mine is mine. We're all just kind of wandering along, doing whatever feels best, and there is no anchor point to reality. And if you're not careful, you'll begin to buy into that. We also walk out into a world that is fully secular, which means this. Most of your neighbors, most of your coworkers, most of the people you interact with on a daily basis do not believe in eternity. Or at least they don't live like eternity is real. They're living for the here and now. Let's live it up today because today is all we have. This life is short. We might as well make it as good as we possibly can. There is, there's nothing in the majority of our culture that says, hey, you should live today, not just for today, but for eternity. Because what you do now will matter for all eternity. This life is short, but it has massive implications for eternity. And friends, gathering together, worshiping God, listening to the preaching of God's word, reorienting ourselves around true north, around the truth of Jesus, is one of the only ways that we can push back on the air that we are breathing in our culture and not get swept along by the tide. Friends, if you show up on Sunday mornings, and my commitment to you is simply this. I'm going to study with all my heart and mind. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna fill myself up with God's word so I can, to the best of my ability, share that word with you and the truth of scripture with you. And if you show up with a desire to hear what God would be saying to you through his word, then something is going to happen in your life. God is going to begin to move in new ways in your life. You're going to be strengthened by God's word to face the struggles in your life. You're going to be inspired again to live for Jesus, to live with meaning and purpose. You're going to, be, you're going to find hope even when you feel hopeless. You're going to be reminded of God's love for you and his care for you. You're going to get a bigger vision for your life, one that includes eternity and is in alignment with God's vision for your life. You're going to become less selfish, Lord willing, and desire to live more for the good of others. You're going to experience new levels of freedom, or you're going to receive encouragement to keep fighting for freedom in your own life. God will use the preaching and the teaching of his word to convict you about certain things in your life, to reorient your life around reality to show you the way to peace. Friends, the Christian life, the Christian life at the end of the day is this. It's a fight to see. You're fighting to see Jesus for who he is. You're fighting to believe Jesus is who he said he was, and you're fighting to follow him with all your heart. But every day, if you just wake up and begin to coast, Wherever your heart leads you or wherever the culture happens to take you that day, you'll end up in a place where Jesus is not precious to you. He's not important to you. What he's done for you doesn't feel relevant to your life. And soon your faith will just become this secondary thing in your life that you think about once a month 
but doesn't really have any source of life in your day-to-day actions. Friends, my desire, my dream, my hope for Hills Church is that this would be a place where thousands of people gather every week and we drill down to the bottom of reality where we anchor ourselves on the rock of Christ and we build our lives on what matters most, which is loving Jesus, loving others, and following him. That's our heart. That's my heart for what we're doing. And that's why we gather. Philippians 1.20, I love what Paul says. He goes, it's my eager expectation and hope. This is Paul's hope. It's what he's hoping for, that I will not be at all ashamed. I don't want to be ashamed of what I believe, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be magnified in my life. We're a Jesus church. Jesus is our lead story. We want to make much of Jesus. It's not about us. It's about him, whether by life or by death. No matter what happens to me, Paul says, he goes, it's all about Jesus. And so, friends, that's what we're about. That's what we exist for. And so, we're going to enter the fight. The fight to see Jesus as he is, the fight to believe him, believe in him, because if we're honest, one of my favorite characters in the New Testament, he gets a bad rap, Doubting Thomas. You remember after Jesus rose from the dead, the other disciples, they come and they tell Thomas, or Thomas wasn't in the room at the time, he comes back and they're like, we've seen Jesus, and he's like, yeah, right, I watched him die. I'm not gonna believe he's risen from the dead unless I can put my fingers in the holes of his hands. And then Jesus shows up and goes, go ahead, Thomas. It's for you too. But the truth is this, all of us are doubting Thomas on some level or another. All of us struggle with some version of atheism in our own soul. We struggle to believe fully in who God is and we struggle to believe fully that following Christ is actually the way back to life and the best thing for us. And so Paul knew that. He knew that the church in Colossae was literally struggling with the same thing so he wrote this letter and he included this incredible section right here to say, hey, I wanna pull you back to the center. I want to anchor you on the rock of Christ. I'm going, to, I'm going to lay out for you who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And no matter what storms you face in life, this is going to be the ballast in your boat. It's going to be the keel that keeps, that keeps you above water when the waves are crashing and the winds are blowing. We're sending a bunch of middle schoolers off this week, as you heard to, um, to elevate to a summer camp. It's gonna be awesome. My daughter's going. She's fired up. And I remember as a child, as a, as a middle schooler, going to a summer camp. It was awesome. Um, it was in Georgia. And <laughs> one of the features of this camp was this massive lake, like right in the middle of the camp. And they had a whole bunch of stuff you could do on the lake. You could do canoeing, kayaking. They had this massive blob, you know, know what I'm talking about? Climb up to the top of the platform and somebody's already sitting on the blob and then you jump off and launch that person into oblivion. Come on, somebody. 
one of the coolest parts of any camp. There was a huge slide that came down the side of the mountain into the water. There were zip lines, rope swings. Like this lake was the center point of all the fun. And the highlight of the week at camp, at this particular camp, was a competition to see which group could build the best raft and actually make it across the lake. That was the whole goal, okay? Every group who entered the competition was given the same supplies. So kind of think of like, you know, a cooking show, and all the chefs have to figure out how they, what they want to do with the ingredients. So we had cardboard, we had pallet boards, we had a whole bunch of um, those like three-gallon water bottles that had been emptied out, so they were like buoys or flotation devices. We had a roll of industrial-grade plastic, and of course, we had duct tape and rope. And everybody just went after it, right, trying to figure out how are we going to build a raft that's going to make it across this lake. Now, there was one odd thing, I'll never forget this, that every group had, but only one group used. There were three cinder blocks, three cinder blocks that every group had, and I'm like, what are those for? We're not using cinder blocks for our raft, that's going to sink the raft, right? Right? And so we all got to work. We were, I mean, this is not what our raft looked like, but you get the idea. You had the pallet boards and a whole bunch of, you know, water bottles underneath. And, you know, some people used the cardboard and lined it with plastic to try and make a canoe. And, you know, when the time came and everyone lined up and the, you know, the air horn went off and, you know, the teams got into their rafts and they began to paddle across the lake. I mean, it wasn't 10 yards in and I think probably 15 out of the 16 teams were already capsized and underwater, all of them. And there was this one group over on the far side. They had a raft that looked about like this, and they were just cruising. And I was like, man, what's the deal? Do they just have better balance than us? Like, what's happening? And at the end of it, what we realized is they used the cinder blocks as ballast for their raft. They tied them to the raft on a piece of rope that anchored straight down so when the raft began to float across and they were on top, guess what? It didn't flip over. The cinder blocks, the weight of them actually stabilized the raft. That's what they were there for. Now, you know, a slightly more modern upgraded version of this illustration is uh, this special, (laughs) this amazing yacht uh, I want to find the name of this. I, I found this. This is crazy. So this is the Nagori Super Yacht sailboat. The mast, the rigging, the mast on this thing is 246 feet high. It would not fit under the Golden Gate Bridge, just to give you a little context. So next time you drive over the Golden Gate Bridge and look down, realize that mast would be another 30 feet above you if it was coming towards a bridge. This thing is designed to catch massive amounts of wind. It's designed to actually ride the wind and ride the waves through storms, but the only way that it stays upright is because it has a massive keel. It has ballast below the ship. That weighs right there 144,000 pounds. It was wild to me. 
And what I realized is this, what Paul is doing in Colossians 1, what Paul is yearning for the the Christians in Colossae to understand is simply this, knowing Jesus, the truth of who Jesus is, It's like having a keel on your ship that will keep you from capsizing no matter how strong the winds or how violent the storms. It's like having the ballast in your boat that you will not capsize when the the tribulations and the trials of life which are coming and will come, when they hit you, you will not only stay afloat but you will be able to navigate the storms. That's the point. That's why he wrote Colossians 1, 15 to 20. He said, look, above all, you need to know some things about Jesus. You need to know who this guy is. The first thing you need to know, church in Colossae, church in El Dorado Hills, Hills Church, is simply this. Jesus Christ is the image. Christ is is the visible image of the invisible God. You wanna know what God is like? You wanna know what God thinks like? You wanna know how God acts? You wanna know what God would do if he were a human? The unseen God? Just look to Christ. Look to Jesus. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Get to know Jesus because he is the image of the invisible God. And check this out. He existed before anything was created. And he is supreme. That word is also translated firstborn over all creation. That word firstborn in the Old Testament, the firstborn of every family was the one who inherited all the goods of the family. So in essence, All of creation is the inheritance of Jesus. It belongs to Jesus. And he is the representation, the image of the invisible God. A good way to think about this, to understand what Paul is trying to say to us, I remember when my kids were younger and I was in seminary, I would, you know... 24-7, it felt like I was writing papers, and I'd be in my office or at the kitchen table, and my kids were, they were really into this, uh, just a make-believe game, they would play spy, and the entire goal of spy was to make it through the room without me seeing them, right? So I'd be there writing, and you know, a four-year-old and a six-year-old are not great at hiding, They're not great at not being seen or heard. In fact, they're awful at it, and it's hilarious. But I'll never forget, I think it was Lily Hope, she got the idea that, hey, I'm gonna go get a mirror from mom's bathroom, and I'm gonna connect it to the end of this yardstick with tape, and I can stick this thing around the corner, and even though I'm on the other side of the wall, I can look in the mirror and see my dad, and I can spy on him. I know we're separated by a wall, but I can see him, right? And I'd be sitting there typing, I'd look up, and I'd see this mirror like slowly peeking out from around the door jam, and her eyes staring at me as I'm sitting behind the computer, and they're laughing and giggling. And and I was like, you know, that's a little bit like what Paul is saying here. No, we can't directly look at the uncreated God. 
No, we can't directly see or look at the almighty creator of the universe who is seated on the throne of heaven. But Jesus is the image of that God. He is, he is the visible representation that we can understand. He is the translation of God to earth in a language that we can understand. Paul says you have to anchor yourself to Christ. What you need to know if you want to grow as a Christian, above all else, if you wanna increase in your faith and in your walk with God, what you need to know is that Jesus Christ is central to all realities, central to your faith, and this entire existence on this, on this earth is anchored to him. It's through him and it's for him, and he's the image of the invisible God. That's what you need to know. That's the first thing you need to know. Christianity is not just a religion. It's not just a way to be religious or spiritual. It's not just about a system of salvation that you have to follow these steps. It's not about how to be a good person. Christianity is about Jesus Christ, who he was, who he is, and what he's done for you in the world. That's what Christianity is. When you realize, I love what N.T. Wright says, he says it like this, when you realize that Jesus reveals who God is, gratitude is the first and most appropriate reaction. The uncreated God, the one who spoke everything into existence, said, I, I wanna show the world what I'm like. I wanna... I wanna erase any confusion about who I am and what I'm like. So I'm gonna come to earth as a child. And I'm gonna live among the people that I have created, the creation that I have made. And I'm gonna show everyone what matters to me and exactly what I'm like. And then at the very end of this story, I'm going to lay down my life for them to show them how valuable they are to me and who I really am. The cross of Jesus Christ, the cross that Christ died upon is the clearest picture of your heavenly father. You wanna know what God is like? Look to Jesus and look to the ultimate action of Jesus's life. Friends, the Christian life is a fight to see Jesus as he is and to believe Jesus is who he said he was as God, and it's a fight to follow him every day. Verse 16 goes on to say this, and we're coming down the home stretch. I mean, I'm, I know some of this sounds like Christianese, like, you know, just a whole lot of big Bible words, but try and, try and catch what Paul is saying here. Can you imagine writing this about a person? This is why we believe Jesus is God. He's deity. He's not just a man. Paul says, through him, that's through Jesus. So Jesus was with God in the beginning. When God said, let there be light, Jesus was the words of God. It says in John 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. That's talking about Jesus in the beginning. 
So God speaks everything into existence that we know as the galaxies, the heavens, and the earth. And it says, through Jesus, God created what? Everything. Can you imagine saying that about a person? Yeah, that person created everything. They were there in the beginning with God, and they are God, and they created everything. I recently went on a trail run up in the mountains, and one of the reasons I love to run in the mountains is because it just reminds me of my own insignificance. Mountains are huge. And I remember looking up, and there's still snow covering the mountains around Tahoe, and and just being like, Lord, that's beautiful. These wildflowers are amazing. These massive trees are beautiful. And then you just go beyond that. Look at Lake Tahoe. Look at the oceans that are filled with coral reefs. Look at all the beauty in this planet from microscopic species to, you know, the largest elephant in Africa. Look at the entire range of creation. And for Paul to say, you want to know who Jesus is? Yeah, he's the one who made it all. He made everything in heaven, in the heavens and on the earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him, through him and for him. It's all about Jesus. It's for Jesus. You were created by him and for him. And your life is meant to be a journey back into alignment with that reality. Alignment with your purpose. All things were made through him and for him. It goes on. He existed before anything else. (laughs) He holds all creation together. I mean, this is line upon line of who Jesus is. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, the firstborn over all who rise. Don't miss this. All who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. You think Paul was concerned about the church understanding the importance of Jesus? You think he was concerned about us grasping the reality of who this man was, that he wasn't just man, he was fully man and fully God? Absolutely, he was concerned about that. And his concern would be the same for us today. And what he says here is this, because we know creation is beautiful, it's amazing. Jesus is the creator of all things. But we also know that creation has been broken, tarnished, destroyed in some ways by sin. It's the biblical worldview. When we turned away from God, the beautiful creation was broken. Death entered the scene. That was not the original intent for creation. And so Paul is saying, look, Christ was there in the very beginning. The good creation of the heavens and the earth was all accomplished through Jesus and by Jesus. And then yes, Everything went wrong. Death entered the scene. Sickness entered the scene. All the things that are evil and broken and painful in this world, the suffering of life entered the scene when we turned away from God. And then Paul says this, from creation to new creation, 
He is the beginning. He was there in the beginning with God when everything was made, and then he was the firstborn, the first one to rise from the dead, to, to fix what was broken, to reverse the curse. From the beginning of all creation to the beginning of the new creation that God has established through the gospel. That's who Jesus is. He was not only the one who created all things, he was the one that entered back into creation to rescue creation, to redeem creation, and to save creation, and to bring life where there was the shadow of death. That is who Jesus is. Paul is giving us this vast picture of Christ as our Savior. It's a fight to see him. It's a fight to believe he is who he says he is. And friends, lastly, it's a fight to follow him. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him, God reconciled. That means he healed, he brought back to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth through Christ's death on the cross. I think at the end of the day, and I'm closing with this, my primary calling as a teacher, as a preacher, the primary purpose of this church, the reason we gather is to be reminded of who Christ is. The one who brings us back to life, the one who brings us back to truth. Friends, if you don't know him, a relationship with him is available right here today and now, and the primary calling of our lives, stick with me here, is to be like sunflowers. Seriously, I found out something crazy about sunflowers. Y'all ever seen those time-lapse videos of a sunflower field? Whereas the sun rises and goes to the sky, the sunflowers like follow it throughout the day. Have y'all seen this? Okay, just me, stick with me. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And it was funny, if you would have asked me, you know, why are they called sunflowers, I would have said to you, duh, they look like the sun. But that's not why. The reason they called sunflowers is they follow the sun. And if you would have asked me, well, why do they follow the sun throughout the day, I probably would have said, I don't know, something like they need vitamin D or photosynthesis or you know, they need to follow the sun to live or something. And it turns out, this is wild, the reason sunflowers follow the sun throughout the sky during the day is so that the center of the flower can stay warm and attract bees. Who knew, right? It's so they can attract bees, which can then pollinate and cross-pollinate and multiply the sunflowers, and I thought, that's it. That's what we're called to do. You're called to follow the sun. You're called to look at Jesus again and again and again. You're called to set your eyes on him, to get into God's word and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John over and over and over again until you begin to fall in love with him, until you begin to believe what he says about you and the world and reality, until you get to know him. You're called to be a part of a community of faith that is also setting their eyes on Jesus and following the Son so that the rest of the world can literally come and see what we have already seen 
And it's just simply through the awe of what Jesus has done, through our eyes being set on him, that our lives begin to multiply what's important to us and what is valuable to us, and that's Jesus. And that's how evangelism works. You get to know him, you fall in love with him, you set your eyes on him, and the whole world starts to change all around you. And you begin to multiply and magnify your love for God. Friends, we're gonna take communion together. And my, my prayer for you right now is, man, you would start this journey in a new and a fresh way of coming to know who Christ is as the center of reality, the image of God, the creator of all things, that you would fight to see him every day, you would fight to believe in him freshly every day, you'd fight to follow him every day. And communion, it's a picture of what Christ did for us on the cross, it's a chance for us to remember what he's done for us. So let's take a few minutes now and take communion together and remember Christ's sacrifice and his love for us. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.